Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome back to the Forza Italian Football Podcast post-international break, which means that we're speaking to people who aren't just our patrons. The more casual listeners are here as well, and we like you just a little bit less. Connor Clancy here as ever, joined by as ever Kev Pogzelski. Kevin, I have missed you over the last two weeks. We didn't get to speak once over the international break. I'm very happy to see your face again. First time I reckon you've said that, so... um... Very happy to hear it. You're not going to hear it again for another. When's the next? Oh, November. I probably won't be that nice then, because it'll be you know winter and a bit depressing. But you might get it from me in March, possibly. Uh, you'll be seeing me in person shortly after the yeah. November international break. So yeah, so maybe when you've left me, I'll, I'll miss you, miss having you here in person. But we'll see. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Anyway, we're joined by um someone who I've seen far too much of over the international break because a 20 minute recording with this man is a two and a half hour ordeal you and burns hello how are you i'm okay i, I live in the north of england so that's why it takes so long I, i'm i'm 20 years behind <laughs> i i get nervous when you come on this podcast because i think you're either gonna play sick or we're gonna have serious problems with the technical details but so far so good let's hope it stays the same um Serial's back. You and we did the preview podcast, and we expected it to be a pretty good round of Serial fixers. And I'm pretty confident in saying that it definitely lived up to to our billing. Um, we'll just run through the scores quickly. There is still, of course, one game to be played. Venezia Fiorentina play on Monday evening, and we're recording on Sunday night, so we will naturally not be talking about that. Saturday's games. Spezia beat Salernitana 2-1. Lazio beat Inter 3-1 in one of the most fun games we've seen in Serie A for a long time. Then Milan went and beat Alas Verona 3-2 in another one of those games. And Sunday's action got underway with Cagliari beating Sampdoria 3-1. Joao Pedro continuing his ridiculous form for the Sardinians. Udinese Bologna 1-1. Genoa Sassuolo 2-2. Atalanta got back to winning ways. Joseph Bilicic got back to scoring, beating Empoli 4-1. Napoli beat Torino 1-0. And Juventus beat Roma 1-0 in the big one on Sunday evening. Just before we start talking about this game, these games, I want to remind you guys that you can join us on patreon.com slash Forza Italian Football, where we're producing regular content every week. You get three bonus pieces of content a week two podcasts and a weekly newsletter there's a preview podcast for every single round of fixtures which you and i did last week kevin might be you this week but we'll we'll discuss that in due course there's a weekly newsletter which i'm writing from wherever i have been on any given weekend and then of course 
on the weeks that there's Champions League football, there's a Champions League review pod as well. And when there's no Champions League football, there's usually a midweek round of Serie A. So there's a an extra podcast there for the patrons too. Anyway, I think the natural place to start this weekend. Well, do you know what? It's quite difficult, but I think we've got to go with Juve Roma because Juventus, Kev, they start the season terribly. It's it's fair to say, but they have definitely turned a corner. They've now beaten Chelsea in the Champions League and beaten Roma in Serie A. And they kind of look like they're back to being the pre-Sari Juve and that they don't always play great, but they just win when they need to win. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see the, um, the the Chelsea game in full, but it was very obvious watching them tonight against Roma that even if they're lacking a little bit of creative fluidity, that intensity and determination that you used to see uh, with old Juventus sides was sort of definitely back there because the game was quite end to end, sort of first 10, 15 minutes, and uh, so they sort of had to dig in and match. Match Roma's intensity, which they kind of brought to Turin, and um, yeah, there was um, very visible signs of what we would probably class classic Juventus under Allegri. You and were you impressed by what you saw from Juve here, and that they they just got the job done in a way that we used to have them as being so. I mean, clinical in doing. They were, they were back to that again this evening. Yeah, I think the the difference this time that there's been games this season where they've played in a relatively sim- similar manner, but in terms of going forward, it's looked like they want to, but they actually just don't have the capability. Whereas this time, it seemed like they were just managing the game; they were fully in control at all times. They looked calm, and even though they, you know, they invite a lot of pressure from Roma, and Roma were very unlucky not to get something from the game, but they were. They, they they never looked, they didn't flap at any point. They never looked panicked. They were very content with getting that goal and just protecting it. And that seems to be what they've settled on to go forward this season. Is Moise Ken scoring one of the, the biggest pluses that Allegri can take from this game? Because obviously he's, he's had his issues with Morata and Dybala in terms of fitness. Morata is not always the most consistent in front of the goal. Ken has come in this summer to replace Cristiano Ronaldo, as ridiculous a sentence as that is. But is is this now the something that Ken and Allegri can build on together, getting a big goal in a big game like this? Yeah, I think so. But in, in terms of the goal in a specific sense, he might not take huge amounts of joy from in relation to Ken because... When, when you first see it on telly, obviously it looks like he's just powered in the fantastic header and then you realise that Benton Kors headed it onto his head and it's gone in and he didn't actually know a great deal about it. <laughs> he effectively missed it. Um, but, you know, he was in the right place. On another day, that would have been him heading it in. And he was relatively decent, but it wasn't the sort of overall performance that sort of suited him in the sense that he wasn't able to show his best. It was a bit more of a functional display. The forwards had a job to do defensively as well. But... But yeah, that boost of confidence, assuming he's taken some, has got to be important going forward. You'd hope so. I, I love we're trying to we're trying to give the lad a bone here, you and and you just have to immediately snatch it away from him. Like, oh, he didn't even mean it. He's terrible. <laughs> he's rubbish. Come on, we like Moise Ken. 
We're trying to give him some. No, fun. yeah, I like the guy. Any guy that sort of gets derided in the Premier League and then comes back to or goes to Italy is someone that I will look out for. Abraham being the the primary example at the moment, but Tomori's in there as well, just because. We all know that Premier League fans aren't much fun. It's just the English bias nonsense from you. You're backing the Englishman and not and not the <laughs> foreign guy who went to England and flopped. Disgraceful from you, you and him. I thought you were better than that, to be perfectly honest with you. But Kev, you're conflicted about Federico Bernardeschi, which is a sentence I never thought I'd say because, I, I mean, it's, it's quite clear what most people's opinions should be on Federico Bernardeschi. What has you so confused? Well... He's not even inconsistent. He's just poor most weeks. And it, it looked like he was up for this game. It looked like he was trying to G up some of the, the rest of the team, which I found interesting that he was taking more of a leading role in sort of getting them to sort of follow the press. And then he did have that overhead kick, which was kind of a little bit, you know, elaborate that um, Patricio spilled. And then Moise Ken just went for power and managed to sky it uh, over the crossbar, although not far over the crossbar, I think a foot lower and that's 2-0 to, to Juve. Um, and then he went close with uh, with an effort from from distance um, later in the game. And it's just, I don't know, I just I always feel every time I'm watching Juve and he's playing or even if he comes off the bench, he just offers very little and I can't work out why they've continued to persist with him. But um, because I am always negative with him, I feel like we should give him a little bit of praise unless you two sat there watched it and thought he was awful no and i'm always guilty of being one of those lazy people who just slags off federico bernardeschi because i tend to think that he's not that good but i'm looking at the situation over the last i guess four months in particular and thinking that i've got to be wrong here because he's played for Juventus since, what, 2016-2017. He was an important player for Italy during the European Championship. Maybe not so much in what he did on the pitch, but he definitely assumed a leadership role with the Azzurri. And now it seems like he's been kicked on by that Euros win, Ewan, and he's, he's carrying that same character that he shows with Mancini in Italy over to Juventus. And... I think it's probably about time that people like us say sorry, Fede, and and give him a little bit more respect. Yeah, he was definitely improved this evening. I think I found that, particularly over the past year or so, almost every time I've watched him, it's it's felt more like he wouldn't go missing. He would he would make really obvious mistakes repeatedly, which is why he just got so much stick. But he 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 was anonymous at times in this game, but he was. He was bright and he had a couple of very decent shots because you know, we all know he can. And it does look like he's settling into the team a bit more now. So, yeah, like you say, I think slowly public opinion might come around towards him. Kev's not looking, that's good. Um, <laughs> Kev, have you anything else to say about Bernadeschi before we move on? Yes. Uh, no, <laughs> I didn't see the note pop up. <laughs> Good, right. Anyway, um, but you were quite impressed with them this evening, yeah. Generally, yeah, yeah, yeah generally, yeah. Okay, it'll be, it'll be crap next game though. Right, well, let's not <laughs> let's not say that. Come on, um, someone who is consistent in in the most unfortunate of senses is Nicolo Zaniolo. And he's got some more problems, Kev. And it's depressing because 
look, we're not saying anything new, not even for this podcast, but on his day, when he's fully fit, he's probably the best and most talented player that Italy have at their disposal. But are we ever going to be able to rely on Zaniolo to even play 30 games a season? It doesn't look, look like it or feel like it at the moment. He, obviously, he came down from, from a jump with almost a straight leg. looked like he kind of maybe just jarred the knee, you know, opened it up a little bit and then off, off he went. It's you, you, you tend to think that the fact that he's walked off is a positive. But then I also wonder whether there's a hesitancy now that he needs to get over, you know, if it, if it turns out not to be something more serious and... I only, I'm only, I'm only concerned, um, which I mentioned obviously before we came on, was how in the past at clubs, Mourinho's been very quick to kind of lose faith in people that couldn't give him, you know, the sort of regularity of being on the pitch and, and fighting for the cause. And um, yeah, I think if if Zaniolo needs a little bit of uh, arm around the shoulder while well, he's come, obviously coming back from what were consecutive uh, bad injuries. I just worry whether he'll get that from Jose. With Mourinho, you seem to get all of the support in the world or none of it. So hopefully it will be the former and Mourinho will take the approach where he adores him and gives him everything and and shows up at his house unexpectedly and, and gives him phone calls to check in on him and see what he's watching on telly and and that sort of Mourinho. But yeah, it, it is heartbreaking to see because this is a guy, when you see this Italy team and what they did in the summer, he could take them to another level as well, but you I, just don't get the impression he will. I liken it to when Mourinho kind of, you know, classic Mourinho at Chelsea with uh, Aaron Robin. Mm. And he was very quickly packed off to Real Madrid. And obviously then he really, you know, had a, went to Bayern. And was phenomenal, even with his injury record. But uh, yeah, it was, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Zaniolo at Roma. Yeah, it's it's not nice to talk about things like this when, when the kid is still only 22 and has shown more talent in, in a few years of playing in Serie A than, than most players have in an entire career. But yeah, interestingly, I think Mancini's the same. You know, When we think about Italy needing to depend mm. on him because of his talent and... You know, Mancini likes not necessarily a settled squad, but he talks about the need for the you know everybody within the squad to have their to, to play their part. And if he feels he can't depend on him to you know be around when he's maybe looking, say say Mancini sat there now, he's thinking I've got these games coming up in November. Player I want to be doing that is Zaniolo. Then he sees him go down, and you think hopefully you know he doesn't he doesn't get that treatment from either coach. And uh, they give him every opportunity to kind of prove himself, his fitness, and that he's available and dependable. On the other side of the capital was probably the most, the most fun, the funniest moment of the weekend. Definitely came in the capital where Champions Inter went down to face Lazio, Simone Inzaghi, and Joaquin Correa, as we'll come to discuss, returned to their former homes. Inter went 1-0 up, even Perisic scored a penalty, everything looked rosy. Until after the hour mark when Chiro Immobile scored a penalty of his own, then Felipe Anderson scored in the 81st, and Sergei Milinkovic-Savic scored in the 91st. And Lazio won 3-1. Ewan, 
I didn't see this coming. And with every passing week, Lazio annoy me all that much more. Because they thumped Roma. Then they got hammered by Bologna. And now they're beating the champions. What is going on with Sari and that club? Yeah, they just won't. They won't settle down, will they? Like we, we all keep thinking, oh, you know, eventually, you know, new coach, etc. They will settle into something that we recognise as a football team that you can discuss and not suddenly be completely wrong the next week or right when you weren't expecting it. But we we said on the preview that Lazio squad wise are in a better position than in to go into this game. But I would never have predicted a three one win. Um, Albeit, you know, a late goal can distort the scoreline, etc. Because by that point, as we'll come on to, everything had gotten very daft. And people were just mucking about. And it wasn't really a game of football anymore. It was just a series of scraps with the ball moving about every now and then. But Inter just looked... There, there just wasn't much fizz about them. And Simone Zaghi didn't seem capable of changing that throughout the game at all. Do you think Lazio's warm reception of Inzaghi... It got to him a little bit, and he he wasn't as fiery as usual. Uh, I mean, possibly, but I I struggle to sort of comprehend how that can specifically influence football match. If you know what I mean, <laughs> how, how, what what would that have specifically made him do differently? But you know, maybe it subdued his talking before the game or at halftime or whatever, and he just wasn't getting them quite up for it in the manner that they probably needed him to, given the tiredness of the squad and how heavily rotated it was. Kev, there's been a lot Lazio's, of... Sorry, no, I think Lazio's tepid first half was part of the problem for Inter because they almost went in leading at half-time thinking, oh, you know, we're going we're gonna to walk this actually without putting much effort in at all. And then Lazio kind of came out the second half firing and with a little bit more um, determination about them and, and Inter was like, oh, you know, how can, they, how can we have a swing you know, a real swing from performances of the opposition and just didn't really get into it and started arguing amongst themselves or wanted to take chunks out of the opposition. Well, that's it, right? Because the first half was completely different to the rest. And I'm looking back at this thinking, was much of the, the narrative that we're seeing being said about this game, much of the discourse was seemed to be decided at half time because I've seen so many people say, yeah, Inter lost, but they dominated this game. Lazio had more possession. They had 19 shots to Inter's 12, 8 on target to Inter's 4, 53% possession to Inter's 47, 565 passes to Inter's 503. Um, Kev, am I am I missing something? Where where was this game that Inter dominated? It was just the first half, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Inter were allowed, and that's the other thing, Inter didn't dominate, in my view, Inter didn't dominate the first half. Inter were allowed to dominate the, dom- the first half. And that changed. And you know the, the the game changed on it. Like you had said earlier, it was probably only a two-one win. You know, you know, a, a single goal victory would have been a fair representation of the the game in the second half. But it, it did rest on Lazio coming out in the second period and really, <laughs> arguably, following more of what Sari wanted them to do. To do. Yeah. Um, look, we've we've got to talk about that incident because it is hands down my favorite moment of this season so far and if that Chiellini pull on Saka hadn't happened in the summer it would be my favorite moment of the year but um 
Joaquin Correa obviously left Lazio for Inter over the summer. Um, Luis Felipe is his very, or was perhaps his very close friend during their time at Lazio. And after the game, Luis Felipe decided to celebrate by jumping on Joaquin Correa's back. Bearing in mind that Joaquin Correa had just returned to his ex-club hadn't been given the warmest of receptions and lost 3-1 having led. He's not going to be too pleased. And then suddenly he notices someone jumping on his back, celebrating the fact that he's lost the game. So he swings an elbow at him, turns around and sees it, it's his mate. And like, what are you doing? And then Kev, Luis Felipe starts crying and I don't know what's happening anymore. No, and I that that was the thing that blew my mind was the tears from from Felipe because I'm thinking, I, 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 you, it's got to be him trying to wind him up. I, I don't. It's, I, so, I'm not it's taking, too much. It's too I'm not much. Taking the friendly banter. I'm not like taking the friendly banter between two sort of former former colleagues because I can't see any scenario. Even you know, in any in any industry, where you go back to your no. former employer and then you have one of the other say so, you know. They, they they get a better deal on something than you know they're giving you the whole yeah, yeah, well, I mean, it was just you know you've know, got like sorry go no no because I'm just <laughs> now rambling you because I'm, I'm as blown away by it as what Connor was you know you got like a really really close mate and as far as you're concerned you can say anything no joke is off limits. It's almost like Louis Philippe thinks that that's what they are. And he's thought, this will be, he'll find this funny. I'll, I'll jump on it. He's just been booed for the, the whole time he's been on the pitch and they, they've just lost, but he'll find this funny. And then he's realised he's horrendously misjudged it. He jumped. <laughs> and he, he his mate jumped now pets him, him and he's crying. He <laughs> just send him a cheeky message after the game. Don't jump on the guy. It's one of those you do in the tunnel after you've showered, yeah. after, after the heat of the moment is gone. You don't do it on the final whistle and think everything is going to you know, be fine. And it was oh, just absolutely bizarre. Do you know, there was when I, I, I played football in school at lunchtime one day when I was a kid, and me and one of my teammates from the team that I played for were against each other, and he scored a goal on a corner and jumped on my back. And I shrugged to get him off and end up elbowing him in the nose. And then he got really angry and everyone had to come in and like keep us apart. And it was just like, well, what did you expect? I was just trying to get you off. And you jumped on my back. What did Luis Felipe expect? It was like Joaquin Correa had scored a goal for Luis Felipe's team. And he was just, it was the most bizarre of incidents I think we're likely to see this season. And I just hope that it, something more outrageous happens but I can't see it happening I can't, I can't wait, wait for the interview return. about it <laughs> no, I just can't wait for the return fixture when the, 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 the other person Correa does it to, to, to Felipe or Felipe does it again Maurizio Sarri said something interesting not about that incident we've unfortunately got to move on from that but he was following the likes of Thibaut Courtois and others who have bemoaned the the number of pointless games of late. And he, he spoke about how in in a week, his team can play three matches 
And then every month there's an international break between the beginning of the season and Christmas. And then that's his following the European Championship as well. And he's saying that for as long as he's been at Lazio, effectively, his players have had more training sessions with their national team where they can actually work on shape and things that matter than they've had with Lazio because the games are coming so thick and fast. And with a coach like Sarri, Ewan, it's it's so important that he gets opportunities to coach his players to play in the, the way that they, they want to. Otherwise, what is the point other than, as he and Courtois have said, other than money for the federations? Yeah, it's it's a really tough situation for all coaches and then particularly coaches who are new with their team. Because like I say, they're trying to instill ideas within them and they can't get a settled squad in front of them. They're getting more injuries than normal and they just you know can't finalise what they want to do. But then even more so potentially for someone like Sarri who is trying to, he's trying to get a new style out of a team who have played the same way pretty much for five years. And it's a squad that they, you know, they'd use the same eleven very, very frequently as well. So he's he's got a lot of work to do, there to do, regardless. And then he's constantly getting interrupted. Basically, he just can't get all of his team together. He's got half the team, while some of them are away, etc. And it must be well, clearly, it's really winding him up. I'm pretty sure this. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure this is a quote that surfaced after the match, and it's the kind of thing that a coach would usually say after a defeat. And while they might have some reason to say it, everyone would just say, oh, you're just saying that because you lost. But I, I think someone like Sarri, you know, he's, he's kind of the Pep Guardiola type where he's weirdly obsessed with football in the point that he's a bit of a pervert about it. And You've kind of just got to listen when the people like this speak about football issues and say, OK, something probably needs to be done, but it's not going to be you, and is it? No, no, it's not because... You know, f- football doesn't track back on itself when it comes to financial stuff and also its calendar. You know, the calendar mm-hmm. is sacred and it, it can only be added to it. It can't be taken away from. And they're, they're just yeah, not going to climb down from that. When they chuck a new World Cup in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, you know, they, they won't climb down. So it's it won't get any better. You know, managers can moan all they like and they've got every right to I fully get where they are. But I, I, I don't think they're going to be heard. No, there's a new World Cup on the way and um, the the Club World Cup, which is being expanded to, what is it, 24 teams or something as well? So that's going to be like a tournament. Because we've well. already watched that, so we need more teams, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I think they're dropping that. Oh, are they? I think, I think, I think they, the intention is to drop that idea if they... It's a bit of leverage to put, push through the two yearly World Cups. <laughs> if they get one of their other ones, they'll drop <laughs> can it. We just, can we not have a break in the summer? <laughs> but well, Sari's going to get his wish next next year because you're only going to have one international break before everybody disappears to the Qatar World Cup in November that we've discussed before. But maybe this is Sari also because obviously with this two-yearly two World Cup idea, I think the... The plan is that the likes of Syria, Premier League, France, whoever else is at twenty teams leads, the leagues will take a decision to go down to eighteen and, and slightly lessen their calendar and the other leagues that have multiple cup competitions, some of those will go, but you know, unless Sari is slightly making uh, a point about the domestic schedule as much as the international schedule, I don't know. I think it is. I think it is and 
he he made the point of saying that it's not really like football is is the sport that most people love it for being it's just now a bit of a circus and it's just getting all eyes on it as as much as possible even if the product isn't as good as it might otherwise be you've got these incredible athletes now but the the what they're doing isn't as nice in terms of football aesthetics as what it could be if if the coaches were allowed to to do their thing and it, it is a shame i i do have a lot of time for sari when it comes to what he he do, is as a as a football coach and it's a shame to see him annoyed and with with really good reason too but kev the felipe anderson winner i suppose it was right um caused a little bit of controversy well, i think i think it i think it kicked off a lot of the kind of bad blood at the end as well we've already it was banter on... it wasn't bad blood it was a joke well yeah but i think then some <laughs> it was of the... really funny as well it was funny it was fucking funny you were... but not in the way you intended <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but some of those interplayers that weren't his friend at lazio were, were still wound up over going 2-1 behind because lazio wouldn't kick the ball out but so what was... happened talk us through just in case anyone hasn't seen it so on the halfway line um demarco's coming forward with the ball uh, Lucas Labour charges over, coming together, but DeMarco's already released the ball. Lautaro Martin, Martinez then decides to charge t- towards goal, take a shot. His, play, his, his, his teammate is still rolling around on the floor, but he's taken a shot. He's decided to continue with the game. So when Lazio recover the ball and set away on a counter-attack, now it's the time that Inter players suddenly want to stop the game because their player's down. And, and admittedly, they do run because they feed the ball down the right-hand channel. So it goes past the prostrate uh, DeMarco and then Anderson goes and exchanges. Oh, wait, he feeds a Mobley who shoots and the, the ball's parried into Anderson's pass to win. And then they're going apoplectic with rage, yet they didn't stop in the first instance. I think that's the crucial part. If, you could have the discussion that I know we're having now if Inter hadn't gone down there at the, the other end and tried to tried to win them, the game themselves. So um, hypocrisy on the part of Martinez, who just then, after that, seemed to want to have an argument with everybody and take retribution on every challenge he went into for the next sort of five or six minutes. But it's a lot of nonsense, isn't it? Because the, the rules were adapted in recent years to take this out of the, the players' hands. So they are now just supposed to play on. And if the referee feels it necessary to stop the game, it's his decision now. It's not even up to the players anymore. And we have seen incidents like this decrease in the last couple of years. But I I can't stand when players start standing around saying kick the ball out. It's absolutely stupid because, of course, they shouldn't. Because more often than not, the player is just going down to get the ball kicked out for for no other reason. They don't need treatment most of the time. And that's... The referees now have the the authority to stop it if they feel the player needs treatment. If it's me, I'm going in very angry with Demarco for staying on the floor at the end of the game. You know, because well, the, it, the it has, point yeah, of the rule was to stop players weaponizing going down. That was the whole idea was to stop exactly that. the The argument that Inter had was that if you if you look, it looks like Lautaro didn't know that he'd stayed down. He was behind him, but Regardless, Lazio are not obliged to put that ball out of play. Mm. If if they wanted to and they did, then you know that's very nice of them. Well done. But you know they, they don't have to. And the reaction from Inter was vicious. To say that he's particularly dumb, Fruce. I'm not sure how he wasn't sent off because he just basically had a fight with the Mobile. 
Uh, we've got to mention briefly, again, videos have surfaced of Denzel Dumfries being racially abused with the, the usual monkey noises during this game. For fuck's sake. I mean, we're talking about it again. What's this, the second consecutive podcast? It was the one just before the international break, right, where Fiorentina played Napoli and it happened with, with Aussie men, with Koulibaly. Um, it's happened again same things there's very very clear videos of one man in particular on this one though so watch wait and see what Lego Serie A do which I would wager will be absolutely nothing but they'll probably release a statement if if anything and that'll be nice um, up in Milan the other side of things Milan came from behind to beat Verona 3-2 and Kev, they did it without a lot of their big players and you're still not willing to give them credit, are you? You think they should be worried? Um, no, I think they should get plenty of credit um, you know, for the character they've shown. It's, the it's not what you wrote to us on Slack, mate. Well, no, there's two points here. So there is great character shown by Milan, but they were playing Verona. And I almost feel like because they've got these, they, they've got a double header now, pretty much coming up against Porto in the Champions League, and they've got a lot of players out. And the start that they had in Milan this weekend, where they gave away some two sloppy goals, maybe suggests that the squad depth isn't great. And where they're in quite a strong Champions League group, getting six points from those two games against Porto could be quite crucial. Whereas if they'd had these injuries earlier in the season and they'd gone and lost to Liverpool at Anfield and they dropped points at Atletico, you'd, you'd argue, oh, that's fine because we were unlikely to sort of get maximum points from those games. And so, so really you'd want our full strength against Porto to go and just breeze through those games, have six points going into the last two rounds of fixtures. And I think that's just where, the, that's where they should maybe be concerned if they turn up because Porto were terrible. Uh, while well, I was in Portugal watching them play Liverpool the other week, but they still can threaten and cause you trouble. As was it last season, Juventus saw in the Champions League knockout rounds. Yep. And so that's that's where I've got concerns from character-wise. No, if they can dig out and, and get a result against them, but the, the depth doesn't look there at the moment just because of the the, the quantity of injuries that they've got. They'll be fully aware that they got away with one yesterday against Verona in the sense that they were really poor for large parts of the game. It was a game that they knew if they were going to win, it would be quite tough because of all the injuries, because of the international break, etc., which will affect them way more than a team like um, Alas Verona. But, you know, they'll they'll take the points. In a league sense, they'll take the points and be absolutely chuffed with it and think, right, we got away with that. Points are points. Regroup. But like you say, with the Champions League, they they won't as as bad as Porto were against Liverpool and seem to regularly be in the Champions League, despite having very good players. They won't get away with that if, if with that sort of result. If they're going to get through the Champions League group, it just won't happen for them. Are none of you on my side here that I think Milan should just finish bottom of their Champions League group and win the Scudetto because they will. It would be the right thing to do if it were like easy to do that if you know what yeah, I mean. yeah of course it is just don't, don't be it would be a bold move for Pioli to come out and go we've got a few injuries 
we're we're bidding off the Champions League now because we're going to win us and get that. So he doesn't have to say it. Then. He doesn't have to say it. But just do it. But we'll know. <laughs> no, we won't. He'll just be like, oh, he can always just point to the injuries and say we had terrible injury problems. The Champions League was a disaster. Look at all the injuries we had. And in reality, he's waxing his lovely bald head, giving a wink to a camera at Milan Ello. Giving it a full Mr. Burns. He's having a lovely... <laughs> yeah, Mr. Burns references from Mr. Burns. We need to be careful there. It's the first one I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> I've fully got into your head there. And this means nothing to the listeners either, which is great podcast content. But come on. If they get knocked out of the Champions League, they'll do what Inter did last year. You know what, Connor? I know this isn't a. Oh, he's a, using a, my name. He's yeah, using my yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This isn't this isn't a, um, a, a Italian football reference, but in 2015 16. Here he goes. Yeah, I, I knew it was going to Liverpool. Well, it's <laughs> going to Liverpool. But he said, you know, squad depth isn't good enough. I'm going to play the kids in Europa League. We need to prioritise getting into the Champions League. And that that almost was the nail in his coffin after kind of kind of doing that, and it was clearly he was doing that. Klopp came in in the October, said, "I'm going strong in every competition." We were we were a goal within winning the Europa League, and they were within a point of getting into the Champions League. Like as you and said earlier, you just can't. Football is hard at elite level. You you just can't. You know, you've just got to go for everything and hope that you get something. But Kev, Liverpool didn't have a very good squad, right? Their goalkeeper was rubbish. Their defence was rubbish. Milan have arguably the best centre-back pairing in Serie A in terms of who play with a, with two central defenders. They've got one of the best goalkeepers in Serie A who is albeit out for two months now, but he'll be back once they're out of the Champions League. And they have the perfect balance of experience and youth to go and win the Scudetto. They've... If they get knocked out of the Champions League, they've got to win it. They just have to. But I, but I think this shows that they haven't got depth beyond that to, you know, to win the Scudetto. This goes on much longer. If they have more performances like this, they will not win games. They will not have somebody shinning, shinning it into their own net in you know, as comical fashion as Felipe jumping on Correa's back. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I think you're making a bold statement there. Saying that they can go, just give up on everything else and go all out onto uh, for the Scudetto. I'm convinced by them. They've been getting these wins without Teo Hernandez, without Simon Kier, Kier, sorry, with Daniel Maldini and Alexis Salamakers playing in the team. Liao hasn't been starting. Ibrahimovic has been injured for ages, and they've got these players to come back. They're they're fine. They they've got one of the best squads in Serie A. And in terms of the the chemistry that that team has since Pioli's come in, it's second to nobody else in Serie A. They're, I don't think they have, they have an excuse if they don't win the Scudetto this season and they're not in Europe after Christmas. No excuses, to be perfectly honest with you. But would it be in Pioli's nature to, you know, elite professionals, etc.? Is it... Is it that easy to be pragmatic and think, all right, I'll sort of semi-throw these games because it might suit us in the long run? Or, you know, is he going to think, no, we can get through this group and we can balance it because we are good enough to win the league and get further in Europe? There's also all the revenue that comes with that as well, Mm. which 
might be in his head. Uh, so, you know, some coaches care about that, some don't. No, of course, right? And if you speak to any professional footballer, they will tell you that they just want to win every single game, even when they play in these Coppa Italia matches against Spezia or something. And the fans say, oh, we don't care about it. So if we lose, oh, the players didn't care either. That's absolute nonsense. No footballer goes onto a pitch for a match and doesn't want to win that match. However meaningless it is from the outside looking in, every professional footballer wants to win every single match they play. But I'm not suggesting that Pioli should deliberately throw it, obviously. But I just don't think them not getting six points from Porto is necessarily a bad thing because they will win Serie A if they're not in Europe after Christmas. They will. And it's it's that simple because Juve will be in Europe after Christmas. Inter will be in, well... Possibly not, actually. But everyone else will be in Europe <laughs> after Christmas. And, and and Milan will definitely have the edge on that. But I, I guess I'm alone here. So I'm the only one that thinks Milan are good enough to win the title. Is that what we're saying here, yeah? No, I think they can win it. I just think <laughs> they don't necessarily have to jib off everything else in the calendar. <laughs> I think they're better than you do. <laughs> Because no, they true. can they, they can balance it just just about potentially. Although to be fair, if they go in the Europa League, that is such a grim competition. <laughs> that extra round is an absolute killer on the legs. You're just saying that because you had your fingers burnt last year. I've been burnt many a time in the Europa League. It's absolute <laughs> hell. I adore it as long as United they aren't in it. <laughs> they don't have that anymore, though, do they? Because of the Conference League, I don't think they have that round of 32, do they? Oh, have they? I think they. Oh, there you go. I mean, I can win the lot. I, I that was my my understanding, but I haven't had to worry about Champions League as much as yeah, uh, Europa League as much as you recently. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I could do a podcast with you. Yeah, on yeah, we're not Sky Sports debate. We don't need this. <laughs> Speaking of Manchester United, <laughs> come on, get it together, get it together. Speaking of Manchester United, you and he's scared because Atalanta are back to winning ways. Josip Bilicic is back to scoring goals and they beat Empoli 4-1 away from home on Sunday. Yes, I'm scared, all right. We're not very good. Um, Atalanta seem to have (laughs) hit their goal-scoring form in time. Um, As you say, they're always very slow to warm up, but particularly Ilicic in that game today, that was he's one of them players who's so joyful that when you watch him recently and he's not quite been at it and stuff doesn't quite come off, you think you feel sad because you feel like you've been robbed of a really great moment. Because when it does come off, as we saw with his second goal today, it's he's so incredible to watch that he can just hurt anyone. You know, there's no defenders that can account for him when he's really, really, really on it. And, you know, United certainly can't. And that will be a really fascinating game. I think United are going to hammer them. <laughs> Did you watch us yesterday? Nope, but not I with, think not with Harry Maguire <laughs> defending set pieces like he did against Leicester. Not defending <laughs> anything. Yeah. Uh, I, I did feel a little cheated by Josip uh, Ilicic today, just by Why? the way he sort of skied that penalty and mm. didn't collect his hat trick. And then I realised even before he took the penalty, I'd, I'd, I'd changed the score in my match report. So for a while, <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were winning five-one because you just kind of thought. He was going to sort of tuck that away and he was going to be player of the week and now I've got a decision to make. If you ever want to to get insight into the mind of Kev, Ewan, by the way, 
Just pop on the WordPress during a match that Kev's doing the report on oh, and yeah. click preview. It's it's fascinating watching how he does his report. <laughs> he... I don't put it on anymore, Connor. <laughs> Do you not? I'm, I'm, well, I'm, I'm back to Google Docs. Since that time I sent it to you. And... <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. It was, I remember that day I was like, oh, what is this? There were about seven different outcomes for the game ready to go. <laughs> about ten minutes in. more work by trying to create less work. <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. <laughs> Absolutely unbelievable. Um, look, moving on, Kev. Napoli beat Torino 1-0. Victor Ozzyman scored. Lorenzo Insigne took another terrible penalty, but Napoli are now 8 from 8. Yeah, 8 from 8 is a, a great run. Still not the record. But um, a, a little bit, what we've been talking about with Milan, the changes that uh, Spalletti has available to him. You know, the fact they've won a couple of they've ground some of these um, games out and won late influenced by the changes that they've made to bring players like um, I think Lozano came off the bench today and had a hand in the sort of the move that sort of eventually dropped to, to Osman. And um, it's not that I don't think Milan will win the league, but I'm growing ever more confident that Napoli will no. put it together. Is no. that, that's the death now, is it, from my comment? <laughs> no, because the, everyone just needs to stop talking about Napoli and the Scudetto until Christmas. Because... I can't remember the exact teams they play, but between November 21st and Christmas, they play everybody, basically. Like, everybody. And even the teams who are nobodies, one of them, Sassuolo, who they don't always have an easy time against. And then they play Juve again on, on January 6th. So everyone just needs to stop because Napoli are going to be probably still top on November 20th, but probably 6th on St. Stephen's Day. And that's just how it's going to go. Sorry, Napoli fans, but I've not—I've never annoyed Napoli fans. So maybe <laughs> that's me told. Well, I don't know what, what, what or when St Stephen's Day is. Well, that could be in April for like. What? How do you not know what St Stephen's Day is? I don't know. It must be something to do with religion, isn't it? Yeah, it do is. We have that one. I don't know. You yeah, call it Boxing Day. Oh, okay. That's what that is. Oh, right. The day after Christmas. I wouldn't have guessed that. I live in Italy where it's called Santo Stefano, um, which is uh, Saint Stephen. And in Ireland, it's called St. Stephen's Day. Sorry for not being British, guys. Jeez. I called it I'm on holiday. Okay, <laughs> right. That's a that's a long name for a day, Kev. I think you need to reevaluate that one. <laughs> it's I'm on holiday day. <laughs> you, you'd probably get in a card for it. Uh, Napoli play Roma next week, by the way. Napoli play Roma next week, which is going to be fascinating. And it's just before Inter play Juve. Sunday next week is going to be mad. So the, the preview pod on patreon.com slash Forza Italian Football is going to be more than worth signing up for a five-year-old month to listen to that as well as other things. You won't get charged until the 1st of November as well. So you can you can sign up and then cancel on the 31st of, of October if you're going to be cruel. But I'm sure the content will, will keep you in once you've signed up. Um, what else happened this week? What, uh, that wasn't really a question. I don't know why I put it out like that. Genoa, Genoa Sassuolo finished 2-2. Gianluca Scamacca returned to Marassi, scored twice. Sassuolo looked like they were on their way to a win, but then Mattia Destro pulled one back and Jan Vasquez, Vasquez, Vasquez scored in the 89th minute to, to steal a point for the Griffone. You and Sassuolo haven't really gotten into their groove post the Zerbi, and, and this will be a, a painful 
dropped points for them. Yeah, when you're semi-desperate for a win, as they pretty much seem to be, because they just can't quite seem to take off, throwing away a two-goal lead when you're seemingly very comfortable is going to really, really sting for them. And it's very hard to pick yourself up after that sort of thing. But they might take heart that Schumacher scored twice because if he could find some serious form, that could be the difference between, you know, it doesn't seem like they're going to be pushing for any sort of European places this season, but they don't want to get dragged any further south, as it were. Kev? Cagliari beat Sampdoria 3-1. João Pedro obviously scored two of Cagliari's three goals. Morton Thorsby for Samp and Martin Caceres got the other for Cagliari. João Pedro's stupid. Stupid for staying in Cagliari, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's got to be because he loves Sardinia, right? Because there's no reason for him to be at that club. Yeah, someone's got something gone in there. They've taken his passport away, maybe. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, no, obviously, first win for Calgary this season, but it's all through his efforts a lot of the time. And they still sit third from bottom. Uh, he's right, isn't it? He's at least on the table that I looked at. Um, six points, anyway, but they did six points with Genoa and Sampdoria as well. They played today. And I don't know, it's just, I can't see how they actually improve on what they did last year. They might just stay up by the skin of their teeth and then the lad's got to get away. It's just yeah. to get something something better for himself, even if he's, you know, oh, I hope he does stay in Italy. But he just, he, he does need to get away. It looks like he needs to get away. Yet, yet you see he celebrates that, that last goal, how much he loves it down there. He mm-hmm. loves the adulation from the fans. You know, maybe, that's, maybe that is what's keeping him there. I mean, Sardinia's not bad. It's not a bad place to live, and he's he's moneyed as well. So he could be living in the north of the island where it's just a paradise. But anyway, you and Spezia two Salernitana one, big big win for the the little eagles of Liguria. Um, and Simi scored for Salernitana, but it didn't mean anything in the end. Yeah, that was my main takeaway from the game. Is that I was pleased to see that he scored because it's always nice when a player does really really well. And then you get worried that they're going to fall away and just sort of disappear into obscurity, which maybe he still will. But that goal suggests that he might actually do something. But Salernitana don't look like a particularly great team at the moment. And, you know, you, you would bet on them going down at the moment. Kev, Udinese won, Bologna won. You like one of these teams, I think, secretly, Bologna? Or is it just that you like the City? Uh, yeah, probably more, more than I like the city. Um, it was a shame that they didn't they didn't win because the goal that they served up was delightful. The pass from Dominguez, like over a packed defense, and then Barrow just you know arcing his run round the back to meet the ball perfectly as it dropped um, on the volley. But uh, yeah, it was a bit comical the equaliser where somebody shinned it right into the sky and then Beto just rose above everybody else and, and headed it. I think either in the close proximity of the legs of the defender, it might even have gone through the legs of the defender that was kind of like um, defending the corner on the on the, on the post. But, um, but yeah, from what I saw, it looked a fair result because it didn't look, look as though there was many um, sort of goal-scoring opportunities in the game. Speaking of players who shouldn't be at the clubs that they're at, Musa Barrow's got to be one that at the end of the season, he's, there's going to be offers coming in for right? Because he's remarkable. Back to Atalanta. I'd have him. 
Absolutely. They've got aging frontmen. Yeah. Yeah. Although, nah, Lucho's never going to age. Have you seen those dance moves? <laughs> the hips yeah, don't lie, true. Kev. The hips don't lie. And, and no, Duvans... They do eventually need replacing. <laughs> <laughs> you would know. You would know. Speaking of comical own goals as well, did anyone else see Mattia Vitis for, for Empoli against Atalanta? It was gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. You and I think you saw that one, right? I did, but then I've forgotten about it again. What happened? Oh, Kev, did you uh, see it? Yeah, well, I was covering the game. <laughs> I literally did a match report. We discussed it yeah, earlier. You write so many match reports, you don't have time to actually watch the match that you're reporting <laughs> on. It, it might not have made it into the real one. Oh, next time we're having a beer, and I'll take you through my uh, my match report process. <laughs> anyway, um, but no, so there was a, there was a deep crossover. Um, I thought it was Ilicic, actually, to start with, but it wasn't. It was... Um, uh, Myler and uh, it went right deep to the back post Pasalic rose heading it back across to Zapata who was kind of coming in and then Viti just sort of kind of half stumbled stabbed at it and then it looked like the goalkeeper was going to be able to just fall on it and grab it it went and then so slow it went slow slowly over the line it looked like Zapata <laughs> Zapata could have got there and nudged it in and claimed what would have been his hundredth Serie A goal because he did get that later in the game but he thought nah sod it it's gonna be so funny if i leave this i'm just gonna let it trickle across the line i don't want the record on this <laughs> yeah it was um yeah it was it was it was well, interesting but it's amazingly not the not the most comical it was, goal this weekend. that was the bit though right when zapata takes the step towards it and then clearly decides Nah, nah. <laughs> not not like this, nah. <laughs> not like this. And then he just kind of runs to Pashalich and is like, "Oh, I, I don't know where to go. We'll, we'll hug each other." But then Pashalich did set him up later on. Very, very. Uh, you and what's the opposite of selfishly? Uh, that would be unselfishnessly. Yeah, unselfishnessly, um, if you want, according to you and. But uh, yeah, <laughs> Pashalich was very unselfish with with that one to set him up and. Zapata almost looked surprised, but he did well to turn it in in the end. But guys, that'll do. That will do for those of you who don't sign up to patreon.com slash Forza Italian football. You won't be hearing from us until next weekend. But for those of you who do love us and love Italian football and love Italian football content, head over to patreon.com slash Forza Italian football and sign up for five euro a month and you will be able to hear two more podcasts this week in, in the form of a Champions League review and then the Serie A preview. And you'll also get the weekly newsletter, which will be going out on Tuesday or Wednesday, as it does every single week as well. So there's there's plenty of good to keep you over there. And I'm, I'm liking how many different countries we have represented in, in our patrons it's quite nice to see um kev are you free to come on the preview pod this week um i should be okay stuck in madrid okay so then ewan can you do the champions league review pod i can i'm doing the atlanta game aren't i so straight after i i strategically asked you on the pod so you couldn't say no uh (laughs) listeners thank you very much we'll speak to you again next week goodbye Abbiamo il cuore a strisce, portaci dove vuoi, verso le tue conquiste.
conquiste Dove tu arriverai Sarà la storia di tutti noi Solo chi corre può Fare di te la squadra che sei Chiunque Storia di un grande amore Bianco che abbraccia il nero Un coro che si alza davvero per te Portaci dove vuoi Siamo una curva in festa Come un abbraccio noi Ora non ci basta. <tose>